This episode of Slay the Stigma is brought to you by the Richardson Women's Club Charitable Foundation. You can learn more about them at rwctx.org. My name is Deborah Dobbs. I'm the executive director of The Counseling Place, a nonprofit victim advocacy and mental health agency in Richardson, Texas. I see the stigma around mental health as a dragon. It's a dragon that society keeps well fed. That dragon, though, it's hurting people, even killing good people, so we need to get rid of it. Now, you don't do that by addressing it or tackling it. If you want to kill a dragon, you slay it. So welcome to Slay the Stigma. With each episode, we'll dispel myths, we'll challenge perceptions, and offer solutions about mental health. Each episode delivers a powerful strike against the stigma. And we don't intend to stop until that dragon is slain. health community has been talking about the negative effects of social media on mental health for years. Now, the negative effects are, are pretty much impossible to dispute after hearing directly from the people who created some of these most uh, dopamine-producing apps. Today, I'm going to sit down with Becca Mullins, and we will discuss and review Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Becca is also going to go over some of the suggestions that the documentary provided at the tail end. Most people likely missed altogether. So let's get started. I'm here today with Becca Mullins. And Becca, I know you, but our listeners don't. So, uh, and Becca's a therapist with us at the Counseling Place, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you did before you got here with us? So I am an LPC associate, and I work with teens and adults here at the Counseling Place, and I also do trainings with youth ministers and adults who work with youth about mental health issues, suicide awareness, how to handle those kind of situations. Uh, before I worked here, um, I still worked with youth ministers, but I also worked with a transitional home for girls coming out of jail, um, so helping them get back on their feet and have good um, life skills and know how to manage and make good choices. So, so you're not new mental health? Not quite. (laughs) Good. So I know you watched Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and I watched it. And I'm I'm glad that the documentary came out. I just think it's kind of a little late because we've been talking about the negative impact social media has on mental health for years. Mm -hmm. And this is not new. But we've definitely seen the impact. Yes, we see it. Every one of our counselors, anyone who works with a teen or adult is going to see it. Mm-hmm. So yay, 
that, you know, the people that made this stuff, not that they're evil people, but, you know, that they're coming out and validating mm-hmm. what we've, we've been witnessing. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on that. But, you know, I also want to touch on, you know, we're going to be talking about apps and phones a lot, but I also want to touch on uh, video games. Yes. Yeah, it's not just about our phones. There's video games, TV, all of those things impact our brains. So, you know, the documentary, it was enlightening. It was um, maddening, some Mm -hmm. of the information. And at the end, they gave some tips. And they went by these tips. They went through them so quickly. And I think that there are some viewers that maybe didn't even finish the documentary and maybe didn't get there. And you could end up Or thought it was over and turned it off. Yeah. You could end up feeling like really helpless mm-hmm. on how to combat did, this yeah uh, why, especially towards the end it did feel it was maddening and it did kind of feel hopeless of well we're we've gone down this trail and there's no turning back and we're just doomed great <laughs> yeah. okay so before we hop into the tips because you're going to expand on these they talk a lot in the documentary and we and we talk a lot about this or y'all talk about it when you're in session dopamine mm-hmm so can you just give a very brief description of dopamine, what it is, what it does? Yeah. Um, so one of the things, one of my favorite things to study is the brain because it's fascinating. And there are things that go on in our brains that, well, I mean, it impacts everything that we do, obviously. But I think there's a lot of things that we don't realize that are influencing our decisions and the way that we see the world um, that is, is a function of our brains. Dopamine is one of those things. Um, dopamine is a neurotransmitter, um, meaning that, honestly, I don't know the technical definition, but um, it, it has to do with the neurons of our brain. And just like you may have heard about serotonin um, and how it's calming, well, dopamine is the uh, happy neuron, is what neurotransmitter is what we would say. But it increases our, elevates our mood, it increases productivity, motivation, focus, and so as one that we really need and we really like. Um, so our brains are designed to keep doing the things that we enjoy and that make us happy and avoid the things that are dangerous and might kill us and aren't so pleasurable. So it's going to gravitate towards things that give us dopamine, um, which unfortunately our phones are designed to give us dopamine hits. So every time we hear a notification go off, releases dopamine in our brains. Every time we get a comment or a like uh, on our Facebook post, there's a dopamine shot. Whenever we reach a goal, that's why there's so many goals and everything's um, gamified, whether it's any kind of app or whatever. So many things are gamified because when you reach that goal and get 100 points or a cupcake or whatever random thing they give you, even though it has no actual physical value, it still gives you that dopamine hit where you feel happy and you feel motivated to keep going and go to the next goal. Okay. So that kind of ties to addiction Mm -hmm. because if you know 20 years ago my view on addiction like with a lot of people would be well it's you know I understand drug addiction because you have a physiological response and a dependence that develops and then you have these withdrawals when you don't have it and so to me it was like okay well that's a legitimate addiction and a phone and an app addiction. Like, what? Are you kidding me? But what you've described explains that. Okay, maybe you're not going to have sweats and lock yourself in a room to to recover from this addiction. But it is indeed, it's an addiction, Mm -hmm. right? Is that, yeah? And you can see it, even though you may not have physical reactions to, to staying away from your phone, 
you can see it in your attitude. You can see it in the discomfort that it causes. Um, so anytime you you stay away from something and it causes irritation or f- like just an angst within you, you've got to kind of pause and go, okay, what is ca- what is causing this? What am I what am I feeding myself? Um, again, your brain is going to go after the quickest dopamine hit, and for us, that's technology or alcohol or drugs or cutting. It also ties in with coping skills. Um, And if we are trying to avoid discomforting uh, emotions or we're just going through a hard time right now or we're just trying to deal with the state of the world that we're in right now, when you are quiet and you are still, you start to think about things and you start to feel those emotions that maybe you've been avoiding by being busy. So what's the quickest solution? You pick up your phone. And you get that dopamine hit. And it it counterbalances those uh, distressing emotions. So that can lead to addiction. Um, Because, again, you're looking for the quick. There are other ways. There are healthy ways of getting dopamine. But that takes a little bit more work. Um, It doesn't. uh, It's not as automatic. It's not as quick. It's healthy. But when, when is that always the biggest motivator. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I can get a quicker hit um, and quicker relief from this distress and just discomfort or even boredom, then the phone or the video game or um, whatever, uh, the TV show is going to be an easier alternative. Mm -hmm. So one of the tips that they gave, uh, it it involves how are you using your time Mm -hmm. and how do you want to spend your time and in choosing your apps wisely? Yeah. And so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, I think we have to be intentional. And we also have to remember that there are marketers and people on the other side of these apps whose job it is to get our attention. There are directors of monetization. There are directors of, I don't know what the actual title is, but of keeping people's attention. Like they're designed and being strategic about how they get your attention through notifications, through rewards. They, They understand the brain science behind it. So we have to be just as intentional about counterbalancing that and counteracting that. We can't, unfortunately, they are not acting out of our best interest as much as we would like to think so. They're in it to make money because that's how corporations work. That's how business works. And so we can't be naive and just think that, oh, it's fine. I can just kind of float by and it'll be fine. We have to be intentional. So that means paying attention to how much time we spend on our apps. What I do like is that most phone companies have started to recognize the need to, they're recognizing that people want to be better about managing their time on their phone. And so they're installing ways to monitor that. And so I know on iPhones, you can go and see how much screen time you're spending. You can set limits on screen time. So like I have a notification on my phone that after so many hours, it's it's cuts off my, my uh, social media apps. Now I can still bypass it and it's very easy, but it's still that reminder of you have spent a lot of time on social media today and you need to stop. Um, so it's just one more thing of helping me to recognize when I, because I'm not going to track, because it's not like I'm spending a solid three hours on social media. It's bits and pieces throughout the day that I don't realize are accumulating. Um, and so setting the, setting up those limits and those things that are going to warn us about how much time we're spending or how many times we're picking up our phones and those kind of things. I've un- uninstalled uh, social media apps on my phone 
because I spend way too much time on them. I just waste time. That is the default that I go to when I'm bored, when I need something to fill my time. I scroll through social media. I'm not even looking for things. I'm not even reading half the post. I just scroll through it because it occupies my mind. So I just, I like, I can't keep wasting my time doing this. And so I uninstalled the apps. Mm-hmm. Now I can still access Facebook and Instagram through Safari, through the web browser. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I am totally off social media. Right. I still am on there, but just the, the process, it's much harder to access it through uh, Safari and the whole process of having to go to the app, fig- find the tab that it's on, access it reminds me that I did this for a reason and I don't need to spend time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's those kind of things that make it harder for us to access that um, rem- sets up those automatic reminders of, oh yeah, I need to be intentional about this. Um, so since you brought that up, Becca, <laughs> I, I have a, I refuse. I'm, I'm like a part of the resistance. I will not get an iPhone. Yes. And I keep teasing you about it. Everybody teases me about it. So everybody at the counseling place, except for me, I think maybe one other person has iPhone. Uh-huh, Cause they're better. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're just, that's another podcast. <laughs> so we have, I got this. So I get this weekly summary of uh-huh. how, it'll give me a daily average of what, how much time I've spent on each thing. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it up and then I set it down. And so now like, and I, right now I'm just looking at today. Okay. So you talked about goals and a little hit of dopamine there. Uh-huh. I can set a goal for how many, what, what's the maximum average daily average I want to set for the times that I unlock my phone Mm -hmm. and then I have a screen time goal I can set Mm -hmm. and like yours I have timers to put on applications yeah so those are and that's okay those are ways of utilizing dopamine to your advantage so when you can set goals, healthy goals, maybe my goal is that I don't reach the time limit on my social media apps every day. Those are ways of um, harnessing the dopamine to, for healthy reasons instead of letting social media apps uh, drag you down this other path. Okay. So I spent this week so far. Okay, this is a Friday. We're on Friday. We're recording this on a Friday, so may the log reflect that I spent an hour and forty-six minutes on Facebook. And I did today. Not, that no, that's my average daily. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that I did not. I didn't think I was doing that, and I don't know if I honestly I don't know if I just didn't close the app. I don't know how this works. If I if I accidentally leave it open, mm-hmm. is it counting that time? Because I've made. It shouldn't be, but I don't know. It might be. Well, and maybe I've just failed because my I was really trying to stay off there. And I may just have to take it off my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to say that I spent more time on the Calm app than Facebook. Well I have to say that. I'm proud of that. So what does yours look like? So yesterday um, I spent four and a half hours on my phone. Which is terrible. Last week, my average was three hours and 21 minutes. I'm trying to find an excuse for that. Like maybe I was on a Skype call, but I don't think I was. I was just on my phone. So uh, <laughs> my most used app is Safari, which makes sense since that's social media, reading articles, that kind of thing. But it was eight hours, almost eight hours, seven and a half hours last week. 
I picked up my phone 53 times a day on average. Wow. Mm-hmm. Monday, I don't know what I was doing. I guess I was busy, but I picked it up 71 times. But that's the thing. Don't you, like, we find our, I find myself um, just picking up my phone to check it and then putting it down. And picking it up, check it, put it down. Mm-hmm. It's just things that we do mindlessly that we don't even recognize until we look at apps like this and go, oh, my, that's a lot of my life. I remember uh, last week opening, I wake up and I opened, I intended to check the weather. 30 minutes later, I didn't even know why I had my phone in the first place. I had been scrolling, and it was stupid. It's a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. And I still hadn't checked the weather. Mm-hmm. I had to think, why am I on this thing? And it was for the weather, and so eventually I checked the weather, and then I missed 30 minutes outside. And, you know, that's how I like to in spend the actual my weather. Yeah, <laughs> in the weather. So those things are – there's an app that – may be helpful unless mm-hmm. the people behind the app are trying to figure out how to get you on these things more often. I don't know, but you know, that's... Yeah, there's still, even in those apps, there's still monetization. They're still making money. Um, so just be mindful of that and utilize, again, technology is here to stay. So we're not saying don't use technology, be a hermit and get rid of every like live in the stone age, but use it to your advantage rather than allowing them to basically use you as a product. That was what I took away from the from the documentary, was that there's there's all these apps out there that are free, but really nothing's free. You are the product in those apps, right? And that really bothers me. And I you're not like, a customer. You're no, user. we yeah, we're users. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really well done. The the way they they show the behind the scenes, what's mm-hmm. really going on in the, in the you know in the app and the algorithms. Mm-hmm. They kind of give a a, a person to the algorithm Mm -hmm. like they have some Mm -hmm. person representing the algorithm um okay so i I do before you guys go on um my stats are drastically different than Mm y'all's um and they are i spend between six and seven hours a day on my phone um and this week the total screen time i've had is 37 hours wow total screen time um, and it's mostly social networking, um, mm-hmm. but then you have productivity. So you, I can see um, the daily average is double mm-hmm. of me picking it up is double what you do. Yeah. Um, and that is because the nature of your job, right, is like you're present with people. For right, hour. right. Um, and the nature of my job is I'm getting Slack messages while we're in this interview. And so like. What's I, a Slack message? It's it's a it's like an email, but it's one. It's like a messenger, but oh. a work messenger. Okay. Um, so you can see, like, my first used after pickup is mm-hmm. Facebook number one, mm-hmm. and then mail number two, um, and then Slack is in the top five, but so is Instagram. Wow. Um, so so my my stats are drastically above all. <laughs> uh, I just thought that would be worth saying. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> my vacation last week when I had no access to social media mm-hmm. right, was still two hours a day because I was playing a game that mm. didn't have Wi-Fi or I was listening to an audiobook on my phone. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Audible books are okay, but a game. Yeah. So you were on vacation so do we need to introduce you? Are you going to be a part of this podcast? You can say, um, I'm producer Carson, so I, you might hear my name a couple times, but yeah. I think it's worth saying. So you went on a dive, you were on a liveaboard. Mm-hmm. 
in, and where were you diving? Sea of Cortez? Yes. Yeah. In Mexico. And so no Wi-Fi, nothing. Um, and I'm still spending two hours a day. I think I can look at, um, Carson. I know <laughs> it was solitaire, which like, isn't even a, like, it's not even like one of the games that's designed to make me feel good. It's a card game. It's funny though, because that is the only game that I have in my laptop. And that's what I've started playing when I'm like, wait, like waiting for a client to sign on, or I am procrastinating on what I need to be doing for work. Shh, don't tell my boss. Um, but that, yeah, it's not necessarily designed, but it has that same goal. You're reaching a goal. You're occupying your mind. Yeah. Same kind of thing. I played nine hours of solitaire. This wow. Was last week. Mm-hmm. In between your dives with sea lions mm-hmm. and bull sharks. Insane. Nine hours. How do you feel about that? Bad. Not great. <laughs> I'm very stressed <laughs> to look at it, like the naked truth of it. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it's very eye-opening. And these are mental health professionals who know the impact that we mm-hmm. have and who know how important it is to take time away and let your mind rest and to actually feel the emotions that you're feeling. So if we struggle with this, then we know it's an issue for everybody. Yeah. And especially kids. Yes. Teens. Because they're not aware of it. No. There, there's some efforts in school I've, I've noticed. They're, they are teaching about it a bit. Um, and they've introduced social-emotional learning into curriculum, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so it's, it's really easy for them to get sucked into it, mm-hmm. especially if the parents aren't putting limits. Yeah, if they the parents are just as – we give kids a hard time like they're so addicted, but the parents are just as – spend just as much time on technology. Oh, yeah. So we can't give them a hard time if we're not willing to be an example for them. And they, again, going back to the brain, they don't have a fully developed brain. They don't have a prefrontal cortex, which is what is helps us to filter and to think rationally and think about long-term consequences and put those disciplines in place. They don't have that, and so they need our help in order to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the creators, the, the people that created the apps, there were, were high ups in the apps, they don't, their kids don't have it. Mm-mm. They're very adamant about not letting their kids have technology. Right. And I mean, social media the... until they're at least in high school. Mm-hmm. One, and, and, and it's not just the social media, but even the tablet or the phones. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, so we've talked about installing apps and... Deleting apps. Uninstalling apps yeah. or deleting apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then if you're going to have them, maybe you have them on the laptop or, you know, your computer where it takes a little more effort mm-hmm. to access yeah, them. Yeah, make it harder for yourself to okay. get there. And then one of the things was uh, turning off notifications. Yes. And I think that, you know, while technology has, we think it's made things easier, you're working all the time. People mm-hmm. send emails in the middle of the night and, mm-hmm. you know, that's not the way it used to be. So that's yeah. not easier. So. Uh, but that was something I thought that was good uh, that they said turn off notifications. I don't think we realize how. Like I noticed it with the social media apps because they would notify me about things that was not even relevant to me. Mm-hmm. They would say, hey, your friend's back online. Okay, whatever. Or, hey, your friend posted on your other friend's post. It wasn't even on my post. Though that made me mad. I was like, okay, you're like, obviously you're <laughs> just trying to get me back on the app. You're yeah. not notifying me of things and one of the things that they mentioned too they pointed out is that you get email notifications about somebody commented on or posted a photo of you and tagged you in the photo if they're really trying to help you and help you to connect then they would include the photo in the email so you can see it 
But that's not their goal. Their goal is to get you to get onto the social media so that you get stuck in that black hole vortex. And so they just give you a link to go to the photo. So noticing those ways that they're trying to get your attention. A lot of people have heard of that experiment with Ivan Pavlov of Pavlov's dogs. And he condition, it's called conditional response. He's conditioned them that anytime they hear the bell ring, they salivate because they're used to getting food. He, was, he would do it enough where he would ring the bell, give them food, ring the bell, give them food. To where even when he rang the bell and they didn't get food, they still salivated. They still drooled. They're doing the same thing with us. That is what a notification is. It clicks that button in our brains that go, ooh, possible dopamine hit. I'm going to go look and see what it is. It draws our attention away from whatever we were doing to whatever is they want us to look at. And that, what you described where they could show you the picture, but they don't. It's mm-hmm. almost like, I know the algorithm is not a living being. But they were talking about how it's almost like it takes on a life of its mm-hmm. own. Yeah. You make it, and then it's going to do what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. And it even, almost... the, even the programmers don't know what it's going to do. Right. Scary. Mm-hmm. And it's like it almost feels desperate. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, okay, we need to get Becca back on. We need it's to get like, back like on. Okay, let's see. ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend that keeps wanting to get your attention <laughs> yes. and get you back. Yeah. It's like, and, and then they'll do whatever they can to get, to get you to click. And it may be so-and-so tagged you in a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things they they talk about be careful and you know, kind of like think before you click. Yes, yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can't. I don't know all the background because again they talk about algorithms that I, is way more advanced than what I understand. But it's just that whole monetization thing. So anytime you're clicking on an ad or clicking on a recommended video, you're feeding into that system. And so when you click an ad, that's encouraging people to to monetize and to to invest in the advertising of social media or of Google. When you're clicking on the recommended articles or the recommended YouTube videos, you're you're encouraging the algorithm to fine tune and go, "Okay, so that was the right the right video to recommend, so we're going to keep doing that so you'll keep watching and you'll spend more time more and more time on it." And I I have to admit, I kind of enjoy having the recommended videos because I find videos that I wouldn't see all the time. So there is, to me, there's a little bit of a conflict of like, but I want to click on those videos. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of have both. Instead of clicking on that video, I can look at the title and then go search for it and find it on my own instead of, again, encouraging that whole system. What I find important is making sure that I'm using my brain and I am using the knowledge that I have instead of letting a computer think for me. And you've talked about that with autofill. Yes. A lot of times if I can avoid using autofill, which I usually can, I do it. Unless I'm just in a great big hurry or being very lazy, um, I don't do autofill because I I want to use my brain and I want to remember the things that, that are important to me, like my information. I don't know anybody's phone number right now. I know my mom's cell because it's easy to remember, and I know my parents' home phone number because I memorized it when I was a kid. But I don't know anybody else's phone number because I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And so that's one one way that I have let a machine think for me. And so I don't want to keep doing that because eventually I'm not going to be able to think. I'm not going to be able to recall things. They say it a lot, neurons that fire together wire together. And so we're creating these pathways of information. I can recall things because I've used those neurons before and I continue to use those things. And when we stop using um, that ability to recall information, then we're going to lose that ability. And I personally, I don't want that. 
You know, one of the things I made sure to do is to teach my daughter our phone number, my phone mm-hmm. number. So if she's, you know, she gets in a bind or she, you know, loses hers or something and she needs to get to me or reach me, mm-hmm. she needs to know my phone number. Right. She needs to know the phone numbers of people that, that are emergency contacts. Mm-hmm. So we kind of go to kids. It seems like there's so much information about kids and social media, but what we've talked about up until now, it's adults. Right. And it's just as much know, of a problem for us. Yes. But um, but we are going to shift and we'll talk about kids a little bit. And one of the things that, like we said, none of the people that have anything to do with these apps allow their kids to have them. Mm-hmm. And they talked about some rules. If you're going to let your kid have social media, then at least have some rules set for them. Mm-hmm. And so um, do you remember them? Um, I remember one guy who said specifically three rules that he has with his family, which I thought were great. Um, One is that you don't have any electronics in your room after a certain time. So like 30 minutes before bedtime, they don't have any electronics, which helps your brain to wind down. It can't keep being um, charged by these blue lights that keep you awake. Um, Just the constant buzz of electronics and gaming. um, They need a break from that in order to sleep. It's like a psychological presence, Mm -hmm. too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. So even our brains pay attention to a lot of things that we don't realize, like subconsciously that this limbic system is always watching for things to pop up and for dangers and things like that. So even if you're not actively on your phone, I, from what I understand, even having it by your bed, it's listening and watching for a, a notification or something to happen. It, it It's like it, there's this like you said, psychological presence. There's it knows that that's something that's important and you need to pay attention to, and so having it near you, there's still a level of brain activity that's happening, um, and so just putting that away, which does make it difficult because there's alarms and there's the calm app that you have to use your phone, um, but maybe finding alternatives where you can, like having an alarm clock, um, maybe having a tablet or something that doesn't for the calm app that doesn't have notifications doesn't have uh phone calls or texting enabled it's just for calm app and that's what you have in your room instead of your phone um, you're, you're talking about calm app and I, i'm sure other apps have it too but i listen to the sleep stories and mm-hmm. they have meditations to help you sleep and you know, I listen to the Alan Scalar stories and i will fall asleep within sometimes within 30 seconds i'm gone but yeah, that's on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, I've kind of tried to make this compromise and t- I have my notifications turned off. I can uninstall, delete apps. Mm-hmm. Set it on do not disturb. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's kind of for me, like, okay, I love those sleep stories mm-hmm. and the meditations. And so I will keep my phone with me, mm-hmm. but I also have other, I've set other boundaries. Right. Um Okay, we have the devices out of the room at night, and then the other one was about um, social media, like the age. Right. No social media until you're in high school. He said that he would set the limit at 16 if he could, but it, it's finding a balance, again, and t- talking with your kids, because you know that's how teens communicate, and that's how they connect with friends, and so you want to be sympathetic to that, especially in the teenage years when they are connecting with their friends so much, and that's an important developmental milestone. Um, so having conversations, and I think that's important with anything, having conversations about why we're doing this um, and the motivation behind it, rather than just this hard and fast rule that they don't understand and they think is just mean um and 
it's that's not helping them long term to recognize healthy habits and healthy choices. Um, but limiting social media, yeah, I don't think you need it in high school. Um, junior high is really hard, and to, so to have the drama at school and then when you continue at home, that's one of the reasons that bullying has gotten so bad is because you don't get a break from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and any of the drama, any of the social drama um, and just social relationships in general, it's hard to navigate, especially as a teen, preteen and teenager. Um, so to not have a, ever have a break from that is exhausting and increases anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And so we have to help our kids monitor that um, and have a break from it. Um, we have to help our kids navigate Mm-hmm. Don't just set them free of, okay, now you can have a Facebook account. Good luck. Right. Or, well, they don't really want Facebook accounts anymore anyway. But Instagram or mm-hmm. Snapchat or whatever. Helping them to navigate that um, so that they know how to make healthy decisions. And they're not, they're not their little 13-year-old, 16-year-old brain isn't trying to figure out how to, how to do all this. Because they don't, well, they're probably a little bit more savvy about the background of all this than we are. But... Um, they still feel indestructible. They still feel like they're exempt from negative consequences. So helping them to navigate and know how to use it. Also, I've heard somewhere, I don't remember who recommended this, but teaching kids the monetization and the design of the apps behind it um, and helping them to understand that adults are trying to manipulate you. Teens don't like that. And so that may be a better um, way of motivating them to make good choices rather than this is a rule, this is a family rule that you have to abide by and that's just how Mm -hmm. it is. But giving them a different incentive of adults are trying to manipulate you and use you and sell you as a product. So how do you want to, how do you want to handle that? Right. And so when, when you're, um, when you're trying to put down these boundaries, this is where I get very frustrated because uh, my daughter doesn't have... Instagram, we took it away. I think maybe she had it for a month during the pandemic because none of the other kids were using phone. Like they don't text, but they were communicating through Instagram mm-hmm. and Snap. Yeah. And so they don't even know the names of the people. They don't even use their real names, much less a phone number. So I, with great hesitation, let her have Instagram for a little while and regretted it almost immediately. Mm -hmm. But I hear a lot of parents say, you know, that's the only way our kid is left out. My daughter, my son, they won't have any friends if they don't have social media. When I sent her with a flip phone, she, she missed a class because the, it was a change in the class meeting location that was sent by text. Mm -hmm. So she didn't get it. So even the schools are making it hard for us. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my greatest frustrations that year was also that the school had decided, okay, it was middle school. You're not going to have your phones in school. Don't mm-hmm. bring them to school. You know, we made it a long time without mm-hmm. having phones at school. Right. And so they said they'll turn them in at the beginning of the day and they can pick them up at the end of the day. And the parents threw such a fit and there was so much backlash that they, they step back on the rule and they said, okay, well, they just can't, you know, they have to stay in your backpack or we'll confiscate them. And well, I'm getting texts from my daughter in the middle of class. Yeah. So, of course, they're not. So they did not enforce it. They totally caved. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I guess, you have to get to the point as a parent. It's like, okay, what matters more to you? Mm-hmm. The mental health of your child or her ability to have connections that really these are acquaintances. These aren't mm-hmm. friends. If you have a friend the friend is going to call you. Mm-hmm. The friend is going to say, okay, that kind of sucks. You don't have Snap. But 
I'll FaceTime you yeah, or we'll talk or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think parents, you got to wake up. Mm-hmm. It's time to wake up and you make a decision that are you there to to be the fun parent, to be the nice parent, to make it, you know, make exceptions, things that, you know, you like, you know, like your mom, you say, well, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you? Well, as mm-hmm. parents, we're kind of in that position now. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's time you got to decide. And, and you also think about, I've talked about this before, when you send them into a social media app, like you say, if you don't really monitor this, it's not just about the influencers inside that app mm-hmm. who are telling them what they should be like, mm-hmm. what they should like, look like, everything. But you've also got a whole world of people that they can't see who are watching. And, and some of those are some, there's some sinister stuff out mm-hmm. there. And they have no, and the kids are clueless. They don't yeah. know. So would you send your, your kid into, you know, a shopping mall when behind the glass you have, you know, perverts, and and people that are into child porn mm-hmm. that are they're looking for victims now your kid can't see them so does it really matter they can't see them behind that glass but would you be okay with that right and unless you're okay with that don't send them into snap and instagram and tiktok mm-hmm. you know it's just like you it's time to to take a stand for your kids mental health mm-hmm. And it is hard. It's hard to go against the tide of the culture. But at some point, you have to. Because if we all just say, well, there's nothing I can really do about it, then it's just going to continue. At some point, like, the schools are still going to are going to make those same regulations because everybody evidently wants it that way. The companies are still going to monetize and do what they're doing because, no, I mean, nobody's saying anything, so we're just going to keep doing it. And nobody's going to change unless we say, no, we're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, when we were talking about limits on, on the kids, oh, a contract. Yeah, technology, contract. like a, mm-hmm. a technology contract. And we'll put samples on our website. It's counselingplace.org. But we'll put them on our website uh, because it, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, time contracts, technology contracts are great because, again, it sets that expectation. It, um, but there's it's opportunity to, to come together for the kid to have input. So it's, it's important, just like we like to have control over our lives, teenagers and kids are no different. When they feel like every decision is being made for them, they're going to um, react and respond in ways that help them feel like they have a sense of control, which often means rebelling and doing what they want to do regardless. Um, so so uh, often, if they feel like they have input into the contract, that's going to help them have buy-in. Um, so asking them, what do you think is a reasonable amount of time to be on your phone, uh, to watch TV? Because again, it's not just about the phones, it's about gaming, it's about TV. And a lot of times, they'll be pretty conservative um, about how how often. I I hesitate to say that because I'm thinking of teens that want to always be on their phone and always be talking to their friends. So I don't know how conservative they would be as far as that goes. But give them the benefit of the doubt and at least try. Mm-hmm. See what they say. And if they say an outrageous amount that's way too much, compromise. Okay, okay we're going to dial back. And this is what, show them their research. This is what research says is a healthy amount. This is why. Um, and kind of have that conversation. It takes longer. It takes more effort. But in the long run, they're going to have buy-in and it helps them to learn how to set these boundaries for themselves because when they become adults and they move off to college or they go off to work, 
they don't have you, hopefully they shouldn't um, have you to set those boundaries for them. They need to have those skills. So you're teaching them life skills for setting boundaries and defining what, what are good boundaries for themselves. You can, you can also, in this, during this negotiation, you can have your son or daughter provide you with the evidence that supports the benefits to mental health of staying on tech, using technology more than an hour, half a day. Yeah. You know, if they want to be on it four hours a day, okay, what's the evidence that, that you have and you got to provide your sources mm-hmm. that support this, why this is good for you? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're going to have your evidence, so they bring theirs and then you maybe compromise and, sure. you know, that was yeah. w- one of the techniques I remember using. Um, okay. So finally, the last thing I want to talk about is we talked about dopamine at the beginning mm-hmm. and these dopamine hits. But how can we get the dopamine generated naturally mm-hmm. without technology? Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so there are plenty of ways to find, get that dopamine hit naturally. And it's dopamine is not a bad thing. Uh, yes, it is associated with a lot of addiction, but it's a nat- like it's part of the way our brain is designed. And again, it increases motivation, it increases productivity. It's helpful to us in order to live our lives well. Um, so we're not saying that don't go after dopamine because that would probably lead to depression. We don't want that. Um, so healthy ways of doing it are through exercise. Um, through social interaction, so talking with a good friend, having meaningful conversation, physical contact. We were talking before this started about 30-second hugs. A hug is a great thing. Touching someone is a great, like, positive touch is a great thing. Um, And unfortunately, most of our hugs maybe last three seconds. So it can be awkward finding someone that will hug you and just hold you for 30 seconds. But it gives you that dopamine hit, and it gives you that social interaction that is so important. Um, Other ways are finding a hobby, something that you enjoy. That same idea of goal orientation and searching for a goal, you can do that naturally. So setting a goal, um, whatever it may be, something that you enjoy, finding hobbies that are kind of goal oriented. So like bird watching, anything that you can go searching for something and go, oh, hey, when you find it like that, that, oh, hey, is a dopamine hit. (laughs) Uh, So looking for stuff like that. Um, Other things, listening to music. Music is great for dopamine. Um, even the anticipation of finding a song that you enjoy and listening to it causes, creates a dopamine, um, flow, uh, meditation, meditation and mindfulness increase dopamine. Um, and those are great ways of, again, settling your mind and being still. We don't always like feeling the emotions that are coming up, but it's necessary. They're, they're, they're going to be there whether you push them away or you feel them. The only way to to deal with it is just to deal with it and feel it. Um, so meditation and mindfulness, learning how to um, view it from a distance instead of being um, being sucked up into it, um, being overwhelmed by it. All those things, uh, eating healthy foods and staying away from junk food and a bunch of sugar. Sugar will give you a dopamine rush, but it also give you a crash. Mm-hmm. So staying away from those things and having a healthy diet, um, getting regular sleep, all of those things that we naturally think of as take just taking care of ourselves are going to be um, good for our brains as well. I think a lot of people don't understand what meditation is. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about not thinking. It's no. not about emptying your brain. And I mean, that's just, that would be really aggravating. I, I It's fairly impossible. Yes. yes. And so there's a lot of guided meditations mm-hmm. that you can do. And, and it, even just 10 minutes a day can make a huge difference. And I think that, you know, when you talked earlier on about being still and that urge to reach for the phone, 
meditation and mindfulness teach you to be still mm-hmm. and, and be okay there and be content and not have to fill that 10 minutes with a distraction. And so I think that I think that's a, a, a wonderful solution or start to kind of take your brain back yeah. from technology. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Slay the Stigma. By taking what you've learned today, implementing it, and sharing it, you too are helping us hack away at this dragon. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support our work slaying the stigma, you can donate to The Counseling Place at our website, counselingplace.org, or you can give by texting CP Slays to 41444. I'm Deborah Dobbs, and thanks for joining us.